Welcome to Any Way You Want It. I'm your host, Kaylin McDuff. I'm an LA-based coach for women who want to create lives based on desire. Here on the show, we like to have real conversations about sex, relationships, and life through talks with everyday people, experts, friends, and everything in between, I give you a plethora of options, different relationship models, new mindsets, perspectives, and paradigms. Listen for what sounds interesting to you and follow that. This is just the beginning of you having a life designed entirely from the specificity of your desire. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Any Way You Want It. Um, I am joined today by a new friend of mine, um, Anne Barleib. Anne, thank you so much for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, this will be fun. I was, uh, I was just saying to Anne just before we recorded, I was like, this podcast serves a few purposes. Uh, number one, I just wanted to connect with Anne. <laughs> I've been wanting to Aww. connect with Anne for a while. And, um, and then I thought, you know, listen, we are going to have an amazing conversation. And I feel like my listeners would want in on this. So why don't we record a podcast? And, um, and Anne said yes. And, uh, and so I'm so, um, I'm so grateful. Um, so I am yeah. too. <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, I want to tell everybody a little bit about you Anne, and, um, and then we will just dive in. So what do I want to say? So, so I have met Anne through, we have several teachers in common. So we have both gone down a path of exploring our sexuality and our sensuality and our feminine side. And what does all of that even mean? And, you know, getting in touch with our bodies. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, like I said, I've been in a few groups with Anne and just every time that you speak, Anne, I am just blown away. <laughs> oh, I'm always, you. yeah, I'm just always so captivated, um, by what you, by what you have to share and, um, what a stand you are in the world for, um, for responsibility and for like really choosing your own life path and, you know, for saying like, Hey, you know, it doesn't matter how things are going. There's always something on the other side that you can choose. Like, that's really the thing that I learn from you every single time um, I'm in your presence. So, um, so that's sort of, that's how that's, I, that's what I want, you know, my listeners to hear. But to give you more of the the nitty gritty of Anne's background, um, she is a retired military officer, um, and she was a combat helicopter pilot and a psychological operations planner. Um, and she considers herself a lifelong student, a pleasure cultivator, an emerging oracle. Um, and she's also a sex witch apprentice, <laughs> um, <laughs> like yeah. me, like me. <laughs> yep, colleague and, witches. 
Yeah. And, um, and, you know, I will, we'll dive into your story here in a moment, you know, but I think the other thing I just want people to really hear is that, um, Anne has been in some masculine environments, y'all. <laughs> and, um, and, and has gone through a lot in her life. And, you know, I, I know that, um, I draw a lot of women in, into my orbit and into my energy field who, um, are in masculine environments, you know, who've grown up in a world where it's like, we're taught everything has to go a certain way and it has to be hard. And inside of that world, there's always this conversation of how do you even begin with desire and pleasure and being in your body? And like, how do you even begin to have those conversations when we are up against so much? And, um, so that's, that's really the story that I want to pull out today is um just of desire and pleasure and and creating your life anew each and every single day um because that's what you are and <laughs> yeah well i think um gosh i really straddle i think this um there's a fine line between creating reality and accepting reality right and mm -hmm. i think that's where the real discipline comes in terms of like emotional sobriety it is you know um we can want something and desire something to be a certain way and to some extent we can cultivate things that, you know, the way that we want them, but uh, something that all of us have in common, no matter where we come from, what we do, socioeconomic status, race, religion, pronouns, what have you. One thing I think we all have in common is life throws us things that are disappointing, discouraging, not the way we planned. And then really the test of mastery, whether it's in the bedroom or in the boardroom or, uh, you know, on the highway, wherever we happen to be, is to kind of approach those circumstances with, you know, a, a good cocktail of presence, embodiment, um, level-headedness, reasonableness, uh, imagination, the, the ability to create within those constraints. Um, so, and that challenges me still. I mean, despite, you know, when I think back about my life circumstances, I mean, it still challenges me uh, every day. And then I am reminded that I think this is the component that we all have in common. And if we can meet it with compassion um, and self-regard, self-reverence, you know, from this submission, um, you know, training and education that we've shared, there's a big deal of reverence and devotion involved, right? And self-regard. So I think the more that we can meet circumstances like that um in that manner the the better off we tend to be and and the more pleasure 
there is to be had um, when we're able to do that. And I'm all about maximizing my pleasure because I have been to, you know, the edges of hell and back. Um, and I, I think I'm, I'm all about maximizing pleasure, ease and effortlessness to the degree that I can. Yeah. Well, and I think you make a really important distinction, the, just the pure acceptance of where we are and just allowing that, not saying, oh, I'm going to settle for this, but just actually allowing whatever wants to come through us. And then that being access to more pleasure, right? But if you're blocking everything that wants to come through you, I think, you know, in my experience, it's, it's really hard to access something, something greater. So I love that that is where this conversation is, uh, is starting. And I'd love to just backtrack a little bit. I know you said, um, I forget exactly how you said it, but you know, I've been to some hellacious places, (laughs) And, you know, in in my life. Um, So take us back a little bit and tell us, um, you know, what what that was like. And I don't want to I don't want to um, sort of uh, project anything. But, yeah, tell us, you know, what some of those moments were like and um, and, you know, maybe weaving in some of the some of what it was like to be, you know, in the military. not saying that those two things are the same thing, but, but really like, I just want to get a sense for what your life was like prior to taking on some of this work. Well, there's something that I've come to refer now to as, um, the incremental adaptation to misery. Okay. And I, I feel like my case is an extreme case because I've, was in the military and I've been faced with some of some extreme cases of, of, um, you know, uh, misery, if you will. And, and, and I, I don't, I mean, it's probably not fair to characterize it that way because when you're in it, it doesn't seem bad at all. You, because there's been this incremental adaptation and and training to kind of, you know, um, grin and bear, some extraordinary circumstances, but, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I graduated college, I got commissioned. Um, you know, I, I always want, I wanted to major in English, uh, when I went to college. And when I told my mother that she said, if, if I thought that I was going to teach English and live at home, uh, I was wrong. And so because I couldn't have my heart's desire, I majored in the most competitive thing, uh, the most impressive thing. And I think a lot of us men and women, um, or, you know, non-gendered folks, what have you, um, I think all of us humans, we tend to do that when we can't have our heart's desire, we either give up on it completely and, and kind of, you know, regress into the, our lowest Mm -hmm. potential or, we set our sights on, well, if I can't have my truest heart's desire, then I'm going to go for the biggest thing. So I decided to major in pre-law. 
And because my university didn't have a pre-law program, I looked around the country at all the pre-law programs and I made what they called um, an ad hoc um, degree. In order to finish this pre-law program, I had to take no less than 18 credits a semester and 12 in the summer. And um, by the time I got to my junior year, I was burnt out on school and I wasn't going to do another three years to get my law degree. So 9-11 had happened. And because I was on ROTC scholarship, um, they said, you have enough credits to graduate with an undergraduate degree as a junior. So we're either going to commission you and you're going to lose that last year of scholarship money. Or my school had a five-year master's program where I could start my master's in my senior year and finish it in my fifth year. So that's what I chose to do. And I ended up graduating with a dual degree in um, a bachelor's in criminal justice slash English, which was like my pre-law degree with some accounting classes in there. And then a master's degree in public administration. In uh those that know the military would know that this makes perfect sense to Uncle Sam um, that to take a, a pre-law program graduate and make them a pilot. Um, absolutely no background in aeronautics or engineering or mechanics or any of that nonsense. In fact, and th that also happened. It was my competitive nature that when we were branching for, for our branches for military, I, this, the way this story goes is when I was a cadet, I was a sophomore sitting in the back of the classroom and, uh, there was this Apache pilot executive officer in our battalion. And he walked up and down the hallways and he said, how come a cadet from this institution hasn't branched aviation? Aren't any of our cadets good enough? Well, Cadet Barley heard that sitting in the back of the classroom and set her sights on being good enough to be to, to be good enough to get aviation. So I did all the most competitive things throughout college. I did what they call Ranger Ranger Challenge. I maxed out on my weapons marksmanship. I maxed my PT score. I went to jump school, which just adds some clout, you know, to your competitiveness. And sure enough, it rolls around and Major King calls me and says, well, congratulations, cadet. You, you got aviation. What do you want to fly? Well, I had it thought past getting aviation and I didn't even know what army air, what aircraft were in the army in inventory. So I said, I have no idea. What are my options? And he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I didn't, I didn't thought past getting aviation. And I think now, you know, as we're talking about it, just that little scenario is oftentimes like what we do in relationships, right? It's like, we, we don't think past getting the person or, or we don't think past the first date or we don't think past. And maybe that can be a fun way to live. Um, but there are consequences to that. Like, you know, so I got aviation. I went to flight school. That's really what I wanted. I learned by the skin of my teeth, how to fly. I'm there in, at Fort Rucker, Alabama, surrounded by engineering students and mechanics that have grown up on farms and know all about aeronautics their whole lives, have wanted to be a pilot, you know, their whole life, their grandparents and parents were pilots. And I'm sitting there, you know, criminal justice pre-law major looking around going, 
I'm in the wrong, uh, you know, I'm in the wrong classroom. Thankfully, people got me through. And, um, and, you know, to your question, I, or comment about being in male dominated, you know, uh, environments, I think, back then, I mean, there was maybe 40 people in my flight class. And I think three of us were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I branched the, the airframe that I got was the scout attack platform, the OH 58 Delta Kiowa warrior. Um, and in that community in aviation, you've got list lift assets and you've got attack or scout assets. And I branched in scout attack. And in that community, the women represented is significantly less. Um, so I, um, so that's, so then I, you know, had my career, um, and was, uh, was met with, with many, um, you know, really, uh, a full spectrum of challenges. And I didn't realize how much I had suppressed, I mean, in order to be successful in the military or any high stress environment, I mean, it could be Wall Street, it could be a high powered executive, whatever. In order to maintain precise focus on something, you have to, you're, you, it's, it's a skill of mastery to drown out everything else. So In the military, there are things that we say, no pain, no gain. Pain is weakness leaving the body. We're only as strong as our weakest link. And you sure as hell don't want to be the weakest link. So you buff yourself up. And and so as I did that, I numbed myself. Yeah, that's what I was going to say that I, wow, what I just got so present to is how just even the power of that language no pain, no gain. We're only as strong as the weakest link and you don't want to be the weakest link. The, wow, the way that that really set you up to just completely disconnect with your body and your feelings. And, you know, that to me is, this is like the extreme version of it, you know, sort of having that message in your face every day. But that's the message that we're getting in the world. This was just a particular environment where you were really like receiving that every single day. Yeah, and I think as a woman, I, I mean, and I'm not saying that this was imposed upon me. I chose right, to, totally. um, like I, I felt like I had to be more than like, I mean, I outdid, I like to say that it during my time in the service and certainly looking back through the last three years of, of work I've done through Tantra and BDSM and, um, you know, DS play and, and kind of sensitizing myself. Um, I like to say, I mean, I was more masculine than my male peers, meaning that I was wanting to outperform them. And in order to do that, I had to kind of turn off my sensuality. And, you know, it's, a, it's amazing because when we do our pleasure practices and as I've gotten into sensuality and, and all this stuff and I, I have all these practices that I've been doing and I am sensitized, I think to myself, my God, there's no way that I would have been able to 
do what I was required to do in the military. And I've got no regret regrets, by the way. Like I, I am yeah. not, there are some people who come out of the military and they're pacifists. And I, that's not my, I think the military is necessary. It serves an absolute purpose. There's a lot of good to come from it. I, I would never take my service back for anything, but I will say that the last three years has taught me really how great a sacrifice it is that I made. Like when yeah. I was making it, people would say, oh, thanks for your service and thanks for your sacrifice and all the sacrifice. But because of that element of incremental adaptation, I don't think that I really understood or appreciated the degree to which I was really, really kind of turning away from myself in order to get the mission done, which I want to mm. reiterate was necessary and absolutely worthwhile. I, I don't undermine or minimize the importance of mm-hmm. pre- preserving, protecting and promoting freedom around the world. It, I think that that it's um, an absolutely necessary thing, but there is a sacrifice and there are consequences that come with that, that I don't know that even the people making it realize mm-hmm. the extent to which they're which they're, you know, what they're, what they're actually doing. Cause some people, I mean, it's been as hard as this work has been over the last three years and, and in a way, absolutely humiliating. I mean, to not know how your own clit works. Like, I mean, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. I knew how my clit worked. I just didn't know that there was anything beyond that. And, um, <laughs> Let's when just I, like appreciate that for a minute. Right. And yeah. that is uh, like, and your vulnerability for even just saying that, right. I know it's like kind of a joke, but also not really. And I, I really relate to that. I mean, that's how I was when I started all of this work, you know, I was like, oh, that's my clitoris. You know, obviously I knew what it was, right. But I didn't really know the power of thawing out my body. Yeah. And it's a real thing. And thank God, I mean, to go to somebody and you probably will have the link in there about how my bladder wasn't working. I mean, I was really in a bad way. And I think, and again, like I said, I don't regret any of it, but I do think that there's a worthwhile education piece in here for people where, and I think about it now, like, I mean, my God, sitting in the, in the cockpit, in my helicopter, the vibration under my seat, if I were sensitive now, (laughs) like if I were sensitive then, like I am now, I mean, I wouldn't have been able to fly. Like I was, you know, (laughs) like, I, I mean, um, so I think it's been perfect and, but God bless him. Some people never get the opportunity to to explore. And that's where I would love to encourage both men and women. I mean, once you're done with service um, and, and through kind of the, the gauntlet of having to get the mission done, my God, you ought to take, you know, take the time to enjoy. Um, And there are people out there who are willing to teach it, but that's where like with my BDSM play early on, and this was Mm -hmm. where you know, and I, uh, I don't know if I've shared this story with you before, you might've heard it, but the way I got into BDSM, 
was, you know what, Anne, do you mind if I just pause you for a second? Um, some of my listeners might have heard me, uh, talk about BDSM before. Um, but if you are asking yourself, um, what does that stand for? I just want to give people like a little, a little quick definition. Um, so, so BDSM, uh, stands for things like bondage, uh, discipline, dominance, submission, sadomasochism, um, and sort of, you know, other, the other related disciplines. So it's, it's basically like, um, intentionally playing with, uh, with power dynamics, Um, so, and then Anne is specifically talking about DS play, which is the specific, uh, power play between, you know, dominance. So someone who is holding the dominant energetic pull and then, um, the submissive pull, you know, someone who is intentionally holding the submissive pull. So it's creating polarity in a very intentional way through, hierarchy. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Perfectly, perfectly stated. I would just add, and this is a fundamental piece that my entryway into BDSM play was actually through sensation before the power dynamic and what had Mm -hmm. happened. So the way that I look at BDSM, some people get caught up in the kink, uh, you know, stuff about it. And, and my entryway was really unique in the fact that I was at a PTSD group for combat related PTSD. And it's a, it's a group that meets at the hospital on a weekly basis. And I'm a regular there. And again, one of the few women that, that attend. So out of, out of a group of maybe 10 or 12 of us, there's maybe three women at most, usually one. And I was the one woman. And so And it's amazing to sit around and listen to a bunch of, you know, combat proven men talk about intimacy. There's a huge problem with impotent, uh, impotence, um, you know, uh, problems among service members. That's no secret. Uh, And so to hear men share these kind of um, issues, I has been is is a huge I feel like it's it's sacred in, in, you know, in a lot of ways. And one day we were having a conversation about communication and connection and sex. And um, I was talking about how much pain I was having. And I've got several chronic conditions and uh, I've had brain surgery. And there's a reason I'm medically retired, right? And um, and there's all kinds of things that you can get for this pain, ganglion stem blocks, alpha stem, electromagnetic therapy. It goes on and on. I've tried it all. And we were talking about that. And we the group concludes and this guy was kind of hanging out off the side in the hallway, kind of waiting for me to come out. And he took me aside and he said, hey, ma'am, I, I don't want to be, uh, I don't want to give you the wrong impression. I'm not hitting on you or trying to come on to you in any way. But after listening to you talk about your pain, something you might want to look into is BDSM to get some agency over your pain. And I was mm. so taken aback by that recommendation that I, I almost didn't know what to even say. I don't remember what I said to him. And, um, but it stuck with me and the way that he introduced it to me, I immediately blew it off and thought this guy is some, you know, the type, you know, who, who knows the yeah, kind of people creep, you're running to it. Creeper right? alert. Right. 
Right. And, um, and so I, I blew it off, but it was one of those things that I kept hearing in the back of my head, BDSM, BDSM. So there I am at, at, at a military hospital, okay, in a room, and they, they outfit us with computers. And I decide, here I am, a United States Army major, okay? And I, I decide, I'm going to go look up this BDSM on this on this computer. And oh. I, I'm thinking, here we go. I'm in for it now. They're going to they're gonna track this and they're going to, you know, I don't have any idea what's going to come up. And they're going to, you know, UCMJ, me, Article 15, me right out of here. And I'm my, I'll be all done. It'll be all over the headlines. But I, it's kind of like following your intuition. And I got on there, I researched it. And because I researched it, not really just a straight up BDSM, but I would type in Google, like, BDSM and nerve pain, BDSM and pain regulation, oh BDSM and sensation, P- BDSM and, um, you know, autonomic nervous system. And the more I studied, and I dedicated a whole notebook to this, and I found all these keywords, and I would just go down one rabbit hole after another, after <laughs> another. And one thing led to another. I got all smart about the lexicon, about dungeons and uh, dom and sub and top and bottom. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a whole, there's a whole, uh, you know, realm uh, to this whole thing. Whereas, and I was confront. I found myself confronted with all these stereotypes that I had about, wow. you know, what this realm is. And this is just a bunch of fetish people that have, you know, uh, you know, pathologies. And I mean, I'm not proud of the assumptions that I made and what I came to find out. So I reached out to a, the local dungeon and I found, thankfully, reputable people that I, I just explained straight up. Hey, look, I'm getting medically retired from the army. I got a lot of pain problems. Somebody recommended this to me at the PTSD group. What can you do for me? One thing led to another. I discovered rope. I discovered knife play. I just, and I was willing to kind of, the thing about getting sick or being in pain, whether it's emotional, physical, psychological, spiritual, whatever kind of pain or dysregulation you're in, the more severe it gets, the more you're willing to do anything. And that mm. is both a brilliant place to be and an incredibly dangerous place to be. Luckily for me, I was able to find very reputable, I, I've met the most caring people. I'll never forget when I went to the dungeon, I might've been like three months into my dungeon, like, you know, um, rendezvous. And I said to this guy, I want to learn about knife play. And, um, you know, this one guy I had been working with on rope, which I had come to absolutely love, not so much for the bondage fetish point, but just because the feeling of it, feeling contained, I find that it relieves my pain. It's the most Mm. amazing thing. But I said, you know, I think I want to try knife play. And I'll never forget. He looked across the dungeon. He said, and you want to do knife play. That's your guy over there. He pointed across the dungeon. There was a guy in a denim skirt with a blue mohawk, piercings all over his body, painted nails. And I looked at him and I said, and the guy who pointed across the room was dressed in like khakis and a button down collar shirt, like a golf shirt, you know, like really that's, that's the beauty of the dungeon. You know, you get everybody, you, you get everybody that you can imagine. And I said, okay, 
here I go. I walked across the dungeon. I introduced myself. And that guy, I'll never forget him. Like, he just ran me through a sequence of knife play. You know, we did an interview like you should vet people and get to know them and whatever. And we, we, he kind of said what he could do. And there was a person there, a group of people that could kind of vouch for him. And so I felt safe. Safety, I think because of the way that I entered BDSM, it was the most sober, safe, not driven by what they call, you know, sometimes it's called top or sub frenzy. You know, you kind of discover the dungeon, then you want to like your panty, <laughs> like I, I want to do everything. I want to do everything. And, and, and you then you become like blood in the water, you know, whereas mm-hmm. me, I was kind of like, I had a very specific agenda. I had things that I was curious about. Mm-hmm. I was put in touch with people who could help me discover those things. And it was handled very skillfully. And then it wasn't until about, I think, like a year and a half or, or somewhere in there that then I started learning about the dynamic piece of it that you mentioned in your intro about BDSM. Mm-hmm. Then I started, somebody I did a scene with said, we're going to have to do some ego deconstruction. Because what I found was that BDSM controlled my pain. And it was amazing. But will you share a little bit more about that? Like how, what you actually experienced in your body? So I think there was something about sitting down with someone and saying, this is what I want to try. And having, there's a modulation and I forget there's a whole, I've been in enough classes. I can't remember. It's like a pain gateway, the way like your neurons, they say, um, there's some, there's some term like neurons that fire together, wire together or something Mm -hmm. like that. There's a whole thing. And so there's something about sitting down and negotiating with someone and saying, okay, these are the tools that we're going to use. And this is what you can expect. But I'm, I I just want to see what the sensation is in your body and, and Mm. see how your body responds. And it's like, okay. And being able to say, okay, if it's too much, I, you know, there's the green, yellow, red system and that. So like, (sighs) and starting with like an open hand spank, for instance, and, and like, just being able to feel that and then like have somebody ask you, okay, what do you, what do you feel? Do you feel, first of all, do you, do you feel my hand or are you just hearing the spank is the first thing. And then the second thing is, okay, now what do you feel? Do you feel any stinging? Do you feel any heat? Like, what do you actually feel? Mm. And fascinating as it is, I think what had happened was my body through its pain response was trying to get my attention. Like, and then having these sensations applied to me in a very conscious, direct way that was modulated and gave me some agency over it really got me in tune with my body to read its signals properly. So now, like when Mm. I'm overdoing it, I mean, because back in the day in my service, I mean, I just would go and go and go and go. Like there was no end. We would just go, I mean, working 
sometimes 20 hour days, sometimes 36 hour stretches. We're, you know, mm-hmm. um, doped up on rippets and Girl Scout cookies, right? I mean, just do, getting yeah. the mission done. And it's like, there are these signals in your body that tell you, hey, I'm tired. Hey, I uh, have this pain. You got to slow down. Well, the service member doesn't sleep or take naps and it doesn't, the service member doesn't slow down. They say, give me two Motrin, get, you know, kind of like the pro athletes, you know? And so then when I had no longer a mission to, to kind of focus my attention and drown out that pain, I was met with all this pain and I didn't know how to downregulate my system. So and I don't care, like no doctor's going to bring me in his office or her office and help me the way that these uh, skilled people in BDSM were able to help me. I don't think I, I just, wow. there was, and I'm also in therapy. I mean, I, I was also in yeah. intense therapy. I mean, it wasn't all BDSM, but right. I, I will never underestimate or count out how important that mm-hmm. one recommendation that guy made to me was. Yeah. Well, and, and I just, as you're, as you're speaking, the thing that I'm really getting present to is how you, you really, um, got to create your agency through this practice, right? You got to say, okay, Yep. Here's the kind of like kind of sensation that I'm interested in feeling. Let me feel out this person and establish trust with them. And then also creating it within a container where there's communication and checking in and, you know, you were really able to experience the sensation safely and, and like reprogram your body. Yeah. And then exactly. And then the next step of that was, so once I got the agency over the pain and the, and I got kind of more present to sensations in my body, which is not easy to admit that I was so out of touch with that. I mean, it was necessary and I don't condemn or vilify myself or the army for that, but it was, it was a fact of life that I wasn't even aware of. That's the scary mm-hmm. thing. I wasn't even aware of that. Then the next step of that journey was, okay, now I know what my body's doing, how do I find arousal or pleasure in that? Because up to that point, my definition of pleasure or arousal was, hey, I've got a 10 minute here or there. I'm just going to do a quick hand job. I know how my clit works. I'm going to get that done. And that was it. I mean, it was a pretty, and then with vibrators, right? And, Mm -hmm. And so the next step was, okay, now how do I, it's a whole other level of surrender to kind of say, okay, now I want you to arouse me. You've got me in touch with my sensations. Now I want you to Mm -hmm. arouse me, which is a whole other level of vulnerability. And that's where I started having ego problems because, Mm -hmm. and trust issues. And this is where a guy really deftly, um, I don't know if that's the right word, but really skillfully (laughs) guided me. He said, Uh, because I was a very confident, I mean, you know, the military is a survivalist, you know, you've got to have a tough ass ego to make it. And and so he said to me very gently, we had worked together. I mean, many, many times, um, I kind of became like a service bottom for him. Um, and, uh, you know, was, you know, would do different scenes for him to try out things or demo, like he was wanting to 
to take on a sub and I would demo like his skills. It was a really lovely arrangement that we had. And then I was able to do that and I enjoyed it, but I can't say that I was really deriving pleasure or like arousal from it, you know? And so, so finally I, I said to him, like, I'm, I'm enjoying it, but I'm not really getting off, you know, like I'm, I'm mm-hmm. not really getting into these throes of ecstasy that people talk about. And he said, yeah. well, to be honest with you, he said, and I don't remember exactly how this conversation went, but where it led or where it, where it, where it led us was into ego deconstruction and humiliation play. And really mm. what he did, what, because I, and it, it helped me identify what I call my major mindset. And my boyfriend will sometimes lovingly say to me, and this comes into our DS power play dynamics where, um, you know, he'll say, do you want me to handle the major right now? Or do you want me to handle my woman right now? And when he says Uh, that, I think, Oh, I say, I want, I certainly, I definitely want you to handle your woman 11 (laughs) times, 11 times out of 10. I want you to handle your woman because that is what he is skilled at. And I love that polarity. Oh my God. When his energy meets mine and I get into that, like submissive, but and mm-hmm. it's submissive, but like present and responsible, but like, because I get into this kind of like command centric, major task oriented, you know, task master <laughs> thing. And yeah. he'll just, he'll quietly, he'll quietly address that and say, you know, um, like what's going on here. And then I'm like, you know, I really, I want your leadership. I, I want your leadership. Mm-hmm. And of course the prerequisite to that is that, you know, I have fully vetted him. I, I trust his judgment. I enjoy his leadership. I, I trust him. You know, the part mm-hmm. of that journey was finding someone that is equal, if not better than the way that I lead myself, which is a, which is a damn high standard. And so he more than cuts muster on that. And so that's, but the getting back to the dungeon second phase of that operation was how do I find pleasure? And mind you, when I was going through this whole kind of transformation, I deliberately decided to not have a partner. Uh, because mm-hmm. I wanted to figure out for myself what's what here. And I didn't want to have the influence of somebody else's desires or pleasure influencing or detracting from mine. So for about a year and a half to two, it was all about me. It was me going up to different tops and and more so tops than doms. Doms came later when I learned and doms taught me how to vet doms and, and, um, and my boyfriend was not a self-proclaimed dom when I met him, but I introduced him to that whole kind of arena and he stepped into it rather just naturally due to his background and, and what he does. And, and is, I think you're kind of innately suited to that, to that um, you know, whatever um, role. So, but um So I really had to establish trust and then go through this whole ego deconstruction to get me to a point where I was out of my major persona. I was, I was really just showing up with my body, um, Mm -hmm. and allowing the experience to take me on a ride versus 
showing up, you know, Major Ann Barleyb here for, you know, reporting for scene and I'm expecting this, 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 and this, and this outcome and that outcome. It was more, it turned from that, you know, wanting the outcome of pain agency and experience and, and, you know, whatever to, okay, here I am just in my body. These are, you know, my parameters. I trust you to take me on this 30 minute ride. And, and it was that ego deconstruction, um, that got me to that point. And then mm-hmm. from there, the pandemic, that was right as the pandemic was happening. I was kind of at the tail end of that. And then that's where, um, you know, these online classes of really sensuality and exploring self-pleasure practice, the, uh, you know, teaching and coaching, um, you know, that we've shared through various teachers, um, really, uh, kind of, you know, so now the last year and a half has been dedicated to me really, um, focusing on pleasure and, uh, and, and sharing a little bit of that with my boyfriend. Um, but most so more so my own independent pleasure and really cultivating that through, um, the thing I've loved about online virtual classes is that I show up no matter what is going on in my life. And whereas before <laughs> I, I, yeah. I would compartmentalize my sensuality, meaning that sex and sensuality was reserved f- for, you know, an hour in the evenings after everything else was done. Or Mm. there were a very specific set of requirements that had to be met in order for me to enjoy, like sex was supposed to be something I enjoyed for either relief or for a good time or to connect with somebody. Whereas now it's kind of become this fully integrated experience where it's like, okay, uh, (laughs) you know, I just got this really terrible news. Um, You know what? I'm going to self-pleasure for 10 minutes right now. And I'm going to cry and I'm going to be angry and I'm going to have grief. Like the first Mm -hmm. time I, the first anger orgasm I had was revolutionary in my life. I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, the first time I cried during an orgasm was, you know, I, I really cannot, and I'm sure I did. My memory doesn't serve me all that well, but I mean, in my 14 years of service in the military, I might have actually physically cried five times, you know, wow. like really. I mean, yeah. and we were going through serious things. Like I've watched people die. I've, you know, had major disappointments and huge, um, you know, massive waves of both positive and negative things happen. Suicide is a huge, you know, um, tragic um epidemic in the military, you know, and heartbreaking things, but I cried maybe five times. And, but now in the last year, I mean, I probably cry once a week. Mm-hmm. And, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, I, that lifestyle is not conducive you to the military. You don't want your military service members walking around telling you that they cry once a week right? That, you don't want that happening. You want them saying, 
no, I got this shit. I'm going out there. I'm doing what needs to be done. Come hell or high water. I'm going to, if I don't, you know, kill them, I'll come home on my sword. That's what you want the service member to say. Um, it's mm. necessary for security, but they, but I think it is worthwhile for, for us to recognize the real sacrifice that's inherent to that. Um, and it, I think, elevates it to a new level of appreciation, uh, quite honestly. And then the, the full evolution of that uh, is the welcoming home part. And that's what we all go through, service member or not. We all at some time in our life get taken away from this centra centrality of sensitivity, our innate uh, you know, softness. We get life hardens us up, whether it's through death, loss, divorce, betrayal, uh, cancer, illness, you know, there's, uh, you know, a million different things that do it. And then coming back around to this, there's enormous pleasure to be had. And how do I get back to finding that and discovering it and owning it and giving myself permission to have it, despite mm. all of this other stuff? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> and thank you so much um, for just sharing your whole journey. Wow. I'm just, um, I'm just so present to um, who you are as a practitioner, you know, and how your journey of just like thawing out and, and letting go, you know, has really allowed you to experience your life in a completely different way at a completely different level of dimension. So thank you for being here. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, so good. Um, well, I think we're going to start to start to wrap up. Um, is there any, um, any last, any last words you want to say to my audience, um, as we, uh, as we start to close? Just that, I mean, you know, I think that if I can do it, um, <laughs> anybody can do it. And if, and if someone were to have told me eight years ago, um, you know, that I would be here on a podcast talking about my clitoris and pleasure and, you know, the dungeon and BDSM and surrendering to ecstasy. I would have told them, uh, first of all, I would have been insulted and, and I would have thought, can't you think any hot more highly of me than that? I've got better mm. things to do with my life than, than yeah. run around chasing orgasms. Um, mm. but honestly, if, if I can do it and find the quality in it and the, and the, uh, the worthwhileness in it, then certainly anybody can. And I, I mm -hmm. almost mean that more for our male counterparts, because as difficult as it has been for me to admit, um, kind of not being in touch with my body and with pleasure and kind of having a, a misdefined uh, definition of pleasure and, and really uh, a shortage consciousness when it comes to pleasure, um, 
really then it's possible for anybody and it's really worthwhile. And more than anything, I'm, I'm so grateful for the practitioners that mm. are out there doing the work that enable this type of realization to occur, because I think that they are absolutely um, gaining their skill and experience all upstream and with incredible discouragement that's mostly fueled by jealousy, to be quite honest. And because people don't know how to do it and they're too afraid to find ways to do it. And because, it, you know, one thing I'll say, and maybe this is a great note to end on, what I did in my time in service can be considered courageous. I mean, I flew at the height of the surge in Iraq from 2007 to eight. And we did some pretty uh, impressive things that could be called courageous or brave. I would say, and not to downplay any of that because it was important and it is courageous in its own right. But this work that I have done in the last three years in terms of getting back in touch with my body and my pleasure and my sensuality mm. in a community of other people has been by far the most courageous and vulnerable work that I have ever done. And it has also been the absolute most worthwhile and uh, rewarding work mm. that I have ever done that I hope God willing, you know, I just turned 40 on the 19th. And so this is my first, this is my big, my first big uh, <laughs> thing of my 41st year. God willing, I've got many years ahead of me and I want them, I want to have access to this mm -hmm. incredible source of pleasure. Yeah. So I hope that for everyone and I hope for practitioners, I want to encourage them to stay skilled and to um to really take their mastery seriously because there are people out there like me who need it and who are looking for it and who appreciate it very much and in fact i would go as far as to say that i sacrificed the best years of my life i don't regret it i would do it again but i did that in order to enable people to pursue whatever it is they're called to do and people who are called forth in sensuality work and sexual healing i want to encourage that to continue to take place because i think that it's revolutionary i think that it's important and and we as a culture um too often make it too low of a priority and we we have kind mm. of perverted it unnecessarily and so it's going to take work to write the ship but i think it's mm -hmm. it's it's a doable thing and podcasts like this are a perfect platform to get credible important worthwhile messaging out there to people who are ready to hear it and that's all that matters so keep on keep on keep on oh thank you so much Anne. oh my gosh you are you are such a gift um and we're gonna include uh your one of the, your speeches from i think it was from veterans day we'll include that in the show notes and um yeah thank you so much for being here 
All righty. Thank you. It's been such a pleasure. You're welcome. All right. Bye, everybody. (laughs) See ya. Thank you so much for listening in today. If you got something from this episode, please share it with someone in your life and pop on over to iTunes to give us a five-star review. I'm so committed to more people custom creating their sex, relationships, and lives from desire. And this podcast is a big part of that. If you have ideas for the show or want to learn more about working with me as a coach, head on over to my Instagram at Kaylin McDuff or my website, kaylinmcduff.com. See you next time.